Welcome to Parkway Baptist Church Wednesday night Bible study live feed. And we are for the next um, for the next few Wednesday nights, a couple of Wednesday nights, we are going to be looking at one of your favorite topics ever. What would that be? Look at this crowd. It's bigger tonight. See, I knew I knew it happened. Politics and the Bible, right? The Bible according to the Bible no. Politics according to the Bible. There it is. Yes. It is. So again, this is um, the book that you need to go buy that we are pulling all this information from is by Wayne Grudem, and he is a, um, I mean, it would take us two years uh, of writing part-time to put together something, and it still would not be as thorough as his is. And so we find a really good resource, and we just pull from that. And uh, he is a very trustworthy theologian uh, out of um, Trinity Evangelical School. I have read multiple books by him. Uh, met him personally. He's a great, great guy, and he has really got some interesting, uh, interesting uh, theology here that we can study. So, are you ready for this? Ready for session two? Was anybody like confused? Went home mad? Anything like that last week? No. Y'all haven't gotten in fights with your spouses at home about what we talked about last week. Ah, nationalizing the church. No. <laughs> no, 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 the, the, the time of the theocracy is over. That was the Old Testament. We're, that's, not, that's not where we are now. Um, all right, well, let's, let's review quickly what we looked at last time. Colton, if you'll just go back to the very beginning um, yeah, and just hit that first, the five wrong views, we'll, we'll go over that, and then we'll jump to government should exclude religion because um, that, that one will, I mean, that's like several panels. I don't, I, mean, I don't think we'll get through with it tonight. Okay, yeah, so. it, it is a lot, a lot of content, mm-hmm. but it's good. So what did we study last time? We studied how the government should compel religion. So what this is, what we're looking at, hello, somebody's in trouble, trouble. Um, What we're looking at are the five wrong views about Christians and government, okay? The five wrong views. And then we're going to give you uh, the, the correct view at the end. So you've got to sit on the edge of your seat. There are all these wrong views to, to get to the right view, which is, I think, why he does that's kind of built up to the end. So the first one we looked at is, is that government should compel religion. Now, you could, put, you could put a slash and put mandate or force, and that meant the government would be endorsing or forcing a religion, and you see this in Islamic states. Uh, you see this, and uh, you saw this in Christian, uh, in the, the Anglican church and things of that nature where you actually had to pay taxes to the church, okay? And the Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, the New Testament does not teach that. So what we're going to look at tonight is, uh, is the government should exclude religion. And this is probably the one that, that we are most in touch with that kind of makes us uh, mad, because it was, never, it was never meant to be this way, okay? So the wrong view number two is government should exclude religion. Yes. Which what does that mean, the government should exclude religion, anybody? What does it mean? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that, 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 the, um, that religion has no voice within the government whatsoever, that people of faith just need to stay over in their little corner, keep their mouth shut, and let the politicians run things. Okay, that's, that's completely false. All right, we, yeah. we, can, we can try to influence and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. go ahead, take it away. Yeah. So uh, just, just to Shelby's question here, um, to kind of put a little bit of a definer on it from Wayne Grudem there. Uh, according to this view, religious beliefs should never uh, be mentioned in governmental functions uh, or on government property and should never play a role in the decision-making process in politics or government. I mean, does that sound familiar, like what we're dealing with for the past, like, at least my lifetime? I mean, I'm 53, and I know throughout my entire lifetime we have seen more and more and more of this, of this uh, paradigm in our, in our country. Would you all agree with that? Yes or no, maybe? Okay. Yeah, and, you know, and this, this statement alone uh, should, should scare us a little bit. And, and I don't mean like, ooh, you know, like terrify us, but it certainly should uh, cause alarms to go off. Uh, for you and for me when we hear our government saying that, you know, religion should play no role in, uh, in the conversation. And something we're going to talk about a little later uh, is because uh, there's a large portion, especially in America, there's a large, a large portion of Americans who are what? Who are religious, right? 
And so uh, if we're going to be a democracy and we're going to hear from our people and, uh, you know, religion is the core thing that defines those who follow that religion, then that's going to cause a real big problem, isn't it? And so uh, hopefully that kind of... Yep, very true. Well, sure, sure, sure. That's right, sure. But the double-edged sword, the double-edged sword there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. The the double-edged sword there though is if we don't protect all religious liberty, then we protect none. And that's and that that's kind of what we talked about last time in that that really difficult area that we get into. That's where it gets real practical, right? We I think we all kind of you know stumbled and bumbled a little bit on that one because it is a very hard conversation. Mm-hmm. You know how do we include religion? Um, you know uh, you know I've always heard truth is the knife's edge. You go too far to the left, you've fallen off. If you go too far to the right, you've fallen off. There's a balance, and so we definitely want to strike that for sure. And so I appreciate that comment because it is. It is and necessary. he addresses in this module, he addresses everything around the, the, what you have raised. Um, the second view is the one effectively promoted by the American Civil Liberty Union. Uh, American Who's ever v- heard of that organization, by the way? Who's ever heard of that organization? Is it in a positive light? Right. Usually not, right. Uh, Americans United for Separation of Church and State um, and much of the rest of secular society today. According to this view, religious beliefs should be uh, kept at home and kept quiet. There should be no influence from religious uh, groups in the political uh, process. Now, when I was reading this definition from Grudem, according to this view, religious religious beliefs should be kept uh, at home and kept quiet. What's, uh, can you think of a scripture that, that automatically is in opposition to that statement right there? Yeah. Go to all nations. Great commission, right? Great commission automatically. And that's what you were referring to. Absolutely. And so, again, here's this principle of, you know, a a balance between lovingly communicating Christ. um, And, you know, so we have to be outspoken. We have to proclaim. We're called to uh, announce and proclaim the good news of Christ. Um, And so that means that we're not supposed to just completely stay quiet. And yet the way we do that isn't through war, making war and being aggressive, obviously. So, yep. just some notes there. Uh, examples of this view are seen when people object to prayers being given at the beginning of a city council meeting uh, or at a legislative session. Other examples are seen when groups demand that the Ten Commandments be removed from any uh, public places uh, or crosses be removed from government seals and veterans' memorials or demand uh, that uh, student Bible studies, prayers before a sports event, a prayer at a uh, graduation ceremony, or a valid valid Victorian uh, talking about his or her faith, uh, graduation should be prohibited from public high schools. Yeah, we had actually, the uh, high school that I went to was a a private academy, Mm -hmm. and um, that multiple times whenever, like, you would give a speech for somebody for student council or whatever, uh, we would be pulled aside and we would be told that we are not to use the name Jesus, not to use the name God, that you can say it without saying And this was a private academy. This wasn't a public school. This was a private academy that my parents paid tuition for us to go there. And so even at that, and it wasn't, I don't, it wasn't considered like a Protestant academy or anything like that. But I mean, it, it's just amazing how pervasive this became over the past 50 or 60 years, even at a private academy in Greenville, Mississippi, which, was, which most people would consider in the heart of the Bible Belt. Yeah, yeah. So. And again, keep in mind, this is, uh, we're, we're talking about this because we're living in this reality, right? I, I think even today we're beginning to live in this reality, and we're trying to understand how we as believers who are compelled and called by Christ to certain, um, to certain you know, ways of living, uh, certain Christ-like characteristics that we're called to live out in our own lives. And so how do we do that in the midst of this kind of wild political day that we live in? Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly um, much different than, you know, probably 50 years ago. So uh, just keeping that in mind. A high school valid Victorian, these are a few examples. Uh, a high school valid Victorian in Las Vegas, Nevada, was told, uh, and it's kind of what Shelby said, she had to remove all references to Christ from her speech 
She chose to keep them, uh, keep them in and had the sound cut off by the uh, school principal in the middle uh, of her address. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, first off, just very rude. I mean, just cutting it right yeah. off. Um, and the fact that she had worked so hard to be where she was at. Um, interesting. A judge threw out a death uh, sentence in a murder trial in Colorado. Important or not important? Just a little bit important. Very important, right? Brandon's giving me a hearty yes. Very important. Uh, a judge threw out a death sentence in a murder trial in Colorado because it was discovered that some of the jurors had quoted Bible verses during the jury's <laughs> deliberations. Good this great. was considered juror misconduct. Very interesting um, example. Can't have those radical Christians in there that believe in truth on the, in the jury. You know, can't yeah. have them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought these statistics were really interesting. He pulled from this. When the Iowa Supreme Court decided to impose same-sex marriage on the state of Iowa in the uh, case uh, Vernum versus uh, Brian, I guess it's Brian, April 3rd, 2009, it noted that only 28.1% uh, of Iowans supported it. The court then observed that much of society rejects same-sex marriage due to sincere, deeply ingrained, even fundamental religious beliefs. Now it continues. But such views should not be taken into account, said the court, because the Iowa Constitution says, the General Assembly shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Um, so he's going to kind of go into this as we go a little further in our slides. He's going to come back to this point and talk about that. Um, you know, and it's just really interesting the point he makes about how we're not supposed to exclude uh, religion. In other words, limiting marriage to one man and one woman would be equivalent to establishing a religion uh, from the view of the Iowa Supreme Court. That's their take on it. Um, you want to take this one? The sure. California? Yeah, the same kind of argument was made in California. Y'all remember all the same-sex marriage stuff, the, the, all the votes that came up for the years coming into the Supreme Court's decision? It was like they tested it in the largest states, uh, you know, for a few years before it actually, it actually was, was uh, voted on by the Supreme Court. But David Boyes, a prominent lawyer challenging Proposition 8, I remember that when that happened. A California constitutional amendment that limits marriage to one man and one woman argued that while people may have genuine religious beliefs that marriage should be between a man and a woman, still the other half of the First Amendment, the Establishment Clause, says that a majority is not entitled to impose its religious beliefs on a, on a minority. So what they're trying to say is, is that there is a, a majority Christian base is trying to impose their beliefs on a, on a minority people that want, to get, you know, that want to get married or whatever. So... But he, he answers all this. In other words, even though 52% of Californians voted to define marriage as between one man and one woman, they were wrongly establishing a religion. So why is this view wrong? Number one, it fails to distinguish... Oh, one second. I've got some thoughts. Yeah, go ahead. Go I'm ahead. So sorry. All I had right, some, right. I put some Coltonisms in here. I, you know, I never <clears throat> yeah. do that, ever. Um, just once in a blue moon. Uh, so just a few thoughts on that. It, it kind of goes into why is this wrong. And... Uh, Let's look up Ecclesiastes uh, 3.11, because um, I, Wayne Grudem, he really is a great, biblical, godly man, but uh, I, I, there was not a whole lot of scripture in this segment, mm -hmm. uh, and so we'll, we'll hit a few scriptures here. Okay. Those who hold this view have a faulty understanding of man. We are designed to worship, and we will worship something. Okay, so again, and that's, a, you know, I, it's not okay, it's sad, the reality's sad. But the lost man is not going to understand that his heart was designed to worship something. And so when we talk, the reason I say that is because when we talk about separating church and state, there, there's worship happening. I hope you realize that. There's worship happening in the state. There's worship happening in the government. There's worship happening with the atheist. That's amazing. They're worshiping something because, again, the component of their heart, they were designed, engineered by God, right? Just like a Ford truck was engineered to have tiny little explosions go on in that, in that motor block that it propels it forward, right? And it's really effective at dragging heavy stuff and all that kind of thing. It was made for that, right? And we were made to worship. And because of sin, our worship goes off kilter. We'll get to you, brother. Our worship goes off kilter. It gets off balance. But here's the deal. Religion exists in those places where, where man is deceived to think that religion doesn't exist. And so that's just the point I'm trying to make there, is that even though they may think we've separated religion, you're still worshiping something. And so that Ecclesiastes 3.11 there, if you want to shout it out. Yeah. 
He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toll that is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor taken from it. God has done it so the people fear before him. That is, already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Yeah, and so we see there that, that really fundamental statement that, that God has set into man, into the heart of man, eternity. So there's this, there's this fundamental understanding in the heart of man. We call it that God-sized hole in our heart, you know, that we're always trying to fill with other stuff until we find Christ. Uh, and hopefully when we find Christ, we know that's not the reality for everyone, but, but there, there's always going to be this tendency to, to run toward worshiping something. Um, and then secondly there, if government is a collective representation of the people slash culture, in any given area, then religion must be included in government in order to fairly govern the people. Yeah, and some people, I mean, talk about government. I mean, some people, you're talking about worshiping something. Some people actually worship the government. I mean, they worship right. the government. There's I mean, they, 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 like, wouldn't say they do, but they do because they look to the government for everything, you yeah. know? So, somebody Tony, else wants yeah. to say. Do you have something? Yeah. Well, I think that was the point from the statistics. You know, the the statement that there was a there was a vote that was more in favor of of not going that way, but then the government kind of stepping in and saying, "Oh, well, you know, now you're picking on a minority." You know, and so you see how the language shifts there, and that's what we're dealing with. We'll get to the end of this slide. If we get to the end tonight, we'll get to the end and we'll talk about truth and and kind of where that's all going to. So, Deb, you had something? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's, that's undeniable. I mean, the pilgrims came here seeking religious freedom. I mean, there's no question about that whatsoever. And again, we don't want to compel religion, right? We don't want the government, well, we do, but we don't want the government to compel religion. We want to plead with people. We talked about that last time. But we don't want the government to be forcing, um, you know, people to a certain religious belief. Okay, now we're on. Uh, yeah, sorry, no, we're yeah, you're good. Okay, so excluding religion is wrong. So it fails. These are the reasons why, okay? It fails to distinguish the reasons for a law from the content of the law. So such exclude religion arguments are wrong because marriage is not a what? Now, I mean, it, it, to us in, in the Christian church, it somewhat is because Paul even says in Ephesians 5, the husband is to the wife is who? Christ is to the church. But, but it's not like in the sense of what? people outside Christianity would think as like marriage as being a religion. Yeah, and Wayne, so, Wayne Grudem is going to uh, distinguish later um, that, that this is really talking about, that, that language establish a religion, uh, it's talking about a state church. Yeah, a state religion. Again, right. compelling religion, coming back to our last conversation, which we also said was wrong. And so he's saying they're using religion wrong here. Right. Basically. So when voters define marriage, they are not establishing a religion. In the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The word religion refers to the church that people attend and support, not the fact that they're married. Does that make any sense? I mean, that, that's, even though within our context, I mean, we would say that, that um, the husband and wife have church every day. Amen? Don't we have church every day because we're one flesh? I mean, the unity of the husband and wife is as Christ and the church. So from that sense, from a church perspective, but he's speaking from a worldly perspective in the world, that a husband and wife to the rest of the world, that's not religion. That's just two people that come together to get married for a partnership for life. Is, is, it was, was a church thing until about 100 years ago when the government started issuing marriage licenses and marriage certificates to keep the track people. Up until then, it was, it was done by the church and it was done only 
Yeah, and, and, I, and I don't know the history on all that, uh, how that happened, but I, but I do know that the few times that I've gotten into that discussion today, like the powers that be that, that understand law and estates and those types of things, um, the reason why marriage is such a big deal is primarily because of the children. When, when they have children and then when there's issues, custody issues and custody battles and estates and it involves millions of dollars and people trying to you know, vie for, the, for their side of getting whatever, then lawyers have to get involved. So, so, so marriage is very important from that perspective and that's why the state gets involved is because they have to get involved because people can't work out their differences without hiring lawyers, pretty much, you know? So, yeah. so there's some of the reasons here, we'll keep going. Religion means being a Baptist or a Catholic or Presbyterian or Jew. It does not mean being married. These arguments try to make the word religion in the Constitution mean something different from what it has always meant. Religion is what we're talking about in the Constitution, okay? <clears throat> Reason versus content uh, of law. Mm -hmm. All major religions have teaching. Now, I thought this was one of the most fascinating points that he makes through this whole book. All major religions have teaching against stealing, but laws against stealing don't establish a what? Religion. Right? I mean, this, this kind of this steps over into one of the evidences that we give for the existence of God is that in every people group on earth, they, I mean, we kind of know that it's wrong to take something that's not ours, right? That's like the moral argument for the existence of God. So this is kind of the same thing he's saying here. Number two, all religions have laws against murder, but laws against murder don't do what? Establish a religion. The campaign to abolish slavery in the United States and England was led by many Christians based on their religious convictions, but laws abolishing slavery do not what? Now, the fact, and here's where we're going to get into the, to the proper view of politics according to the Bible, that doesn't establish a religion, but what it may do is that people standing out here ringside and quietly being against slavery or whatever, seeing the primary advocates of doing away with it may make them think to themselves, why were they so adamant that slavery be done away with? I wonder, you know, and then they see all these Christians doing that, and so they want to find out more about being a Christian and what that means and why these people are willing to sacrifice their lives and sacrifice their time to do, to do away with slavery. So it, it pulls them and kind of makes them wonder and, and be persuaded into Christianity. You know, and, and I think it's neat, too. You look at the history of America. I mean, this is, this is uh, cool, and I love looking into history, and we should learn from history. Um, you know, in this major debate, uh, when we go back to the conversation of slavery, and you really had the union, the main, the main core of America was, was agreeing that this slavery, this enslavement of African Americans needed to, needed to end. Now, that's not exactly how it started. They were trying to kind of play, play nice with the southern states and everything, and so it, the, the conversation didn't start there, but they saw the moral evils involved with enslavement. And it's just interesting, again, I, I really want you to, to come back to and focus on this, this word morality, right? And, and, and that word sometimes can be seen in a negative light, but, but Christian morals, godly, uh, good morals, good and evil, right? And so this is a, this is a beautiful moment in our history where uh, there were certain people who were bold enough to, to begin to recognize and realize and even go to war over it and battle one another, one another over it, that this was a moral evil. That, that needed to be extinguished, yeah. right? And so, and praise God it is, right? Amen? Uh, praise God slavery is, is ended and, and it was a moral evil. And so again, this is, this is government acting in a good way, right? In a positive light, bringing justice. And what we're seeing today though is a, a watering down, again, um, you know, kind of at the core of the problem here, the, the rot is that we're starting to delude language Right, and that's again what we're seeing. With we're doing that. away with meaning. We're just doing meaning. away with meaning altogether. Right, absolutely. Which yep. is which is terrible. Yep. Go to the next one. Uh, another 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 evidence to the campaign to end racial discrimination and segregation was led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a Baptist pastor, who preached against racial injustice from the Bible. But laws against discrimination and segregation do not establish a what religion. I mean, it didn't establish a religion, but the principle, the, the convictional principle. They based their fight on the, on the principle from their faith. And by such reasoning, all the votes of religious citizens for almost any issue could be found invalid by court degree. This would be the direct opposite of the kind of country the founding fathers established and the direct opposite of what they meant by free exercise of religion in the First Amendment. Do y'all see how dangerous of a ground we're on? 
I mean, we're talking about getting rid of jurors before, but getting rid of jurors or, or, or dismissing a case because the jurors actually use scripture to make their decisions in the, in, within the deliberations of the jury. That's not, the founders said, that's good. You need to employ your faith mm-hmm. on virtuous principles when, when you're trying to discern judgments on, on things that are real and, serious. And here's, here's something, again, this is getting into uncomfortable conversation, right? But let's say that you're, there's deliberations happening in the jury room and a Mormon's sitting in there. And the Mormon says, well, it's not right to murder. Like, you know, we, obviously, you know, our, our book says it's not right to murder. Well, here, here's the thing, right? In their Mormonism, which is false, it's false religion, okay, fully acknowledging that, but they're acknowledging something good from Scripture. They're acknowledging something good in, that God has woven in the design of, of who he made us to be, that we shouldn't take a life, right? Because uh, life, a uh, human life is made in the image of God. And so even though they're Mormon, they're recognizing that there's some, they're recognizing something good about God's creation and God's order, although they're deceived. So I just want you to see how complex that is, but still how a judge shouldn't say, well, because you're quoting from the Book of Mormon and this is a true reality, we need to protect life you know, well, we're going to throw this case out and let this murderer go free because you quoted the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. right? Again, I'm just posing that in a different deal, a different, a different light and showing us kind of a different angle. Mm-hmm. All right, the, ne- the next reason why it's wrong is it overrides the will of the people and then he uses California's Proposition 8. California's <clears throat> Proposition 8 was accepted by the people. However, religious or moral reasons that were sincerely held by the citizens of Colorado were not rational reasons. Their votes did not count because they used what kind of re- reasons? Religious reasons. There's nothing wrong with using religious reasons to make your decisions. There's nothing wrong with that. that that's, I mean, the founders would say, hey, that's why, that's why we came to America, because we wanted freedom of religion. Um, so their 52% vote was overturned by the Supreme Court. This kind of decision is the natural outcome of the exclude religion for gov- from government view, and it simply overrides the will of the people in amending their state's constitution, as was the case also in Iowa and California. I think I above. inserted something else here, Go ahead, too. Yeah. Uh, just right there in the middle when he said, and, and you actually already pointed this out, but that little bullet underneath there, uh-huh. uh, I was sleeping for a minute. I was thinking, I was thinking deeply. So uh, uh, who or what at that point determines what uh, is rational and what is not, right? And it's kind of the point you were making there, but, but who, who becomes the authority, right? That says, if we throw out, let's, let's go back to the Bible, right? If we throw out the Bible and say, well, that has no credence whatsoever, then who gets to say uh, what's rational and what's not? Do you see how dangerous that is? What was that? Anybody that's right. That's or, or mob mentality, yeah. right? And, the, or then that's power. That's the mob. You, know, you, that, you that, do what we tell you or we're going to get a mob together and tear your house down. I yeah, mean, and, that's what they do. And just so you see right now what's kind of the, the, the um, I guess the thing that's kind of sweeping our nation right now is science. Science is a, is a big authority. It's a high authority in our land right now. Psychology, right? Psychology is, is gaining an ear uh, in, in our world right now in America. Uh, the mood of a group of people in power on any given day, okay? And so that comes back to what we were just saying there, Jim. But, but again, and like Shelby said, just to show how dangerous this can be and how, again, so, so what are we called to do? And I want to just real quickly read um, uh, uh, 1 Peter 3, uh, and it's just right here, 13 through 15 here. You guys know this well, but what are we called to do? And you can flip there if you want. Looks like, or scroll there. So, okay. Scrolling is okay too. What was that? First, First, First Peter, Peter 3, 3, 15. Well, thir- starting in 13 there and going to 15. Now, who is there to harm you if you are First uh, Peter 3, uh, 13 through 15? Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And verse 15 here is the key. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Mm-hmm. So we always need to be ready. How, how, you know, and I'm kind of, you know, robbing away from the end here a little bit, but how do we... Um, how do we, what are we supposed to do in the midst of this? Well, we're supposed to speak truth. And we're supposed to do it without fear, 
right? And we, we saw that from the text there. We're supposed to do it without fear, and we're supposed to always be ready, always prepared. Always prepared to show uh, that other person um, that their logical conclusions have no logical, truly logical end to them, right? When we talk about that whole deal of truth is relative, and that's kind of what we're saying, like the delusion of meaning, when, when words stop having meaning, what was the word that was, uh, and, and I, it's just the reality we're living in, so I'm going to point it out. What was the word that was said, inflation? Not inflation. What was the word that, that lately they said is not, that's not what it means? Come on, help me out. What was that? No, it wasn't that. It was, uh, 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 starts with an R. Not regression. Recession. Recession. Thank you. Recession. Thank you. I knew we were going to pull it out. I didn't want to give it up. Did you see that? Did you, who, who saw that? The redefining that. of recession. Right? Uh, Vi, Vi, thank you, Vi. I'm not insane. Vi's telling me I'm not crazy. She's raising her hand. Uh, yeah, they tried to redefine the word recession so that it would sound more palatable when they talked about the state of our country. And it's like, for political reasons. And we, and we have to get to the point where we say, wow, we're in debt. Things are bad financially. And, and well, and that's kind of the point, right, is that, that we use, we delude the words so that we can mask it well, in a lie. It's just like an abortion. It's not a baby. It's a fetus. You know, it's a fetus. It's not right. a baby. It's, and that's, that's how they justified you yeah. know, killing the child. So we always have to be ready to speak truth into that's what I'm trying to say. To come back to that and to show them, especially, uh, you know, it's like C.S. Lewis' statement. When, you know, when truth is relative for us, we cut off the, the tree branch we're sitting on, right? It's <laughs> when you have no meaning, you cut off your own tree branch because you can't even have a logical argument anymore. And so we're called to speak into that and to show them lovingly, right? It said gentleness and with, and with respect to say in uh, 1 Peter 3, 13 through 15 there. And we're supposed to show them in love how, how they're wrong. Somebody had their hand up somewhere. Okay. <laughs> oh, he, he's redacting. He's taking back. Okay. Second Samuel seven fifteen. <laughs> there, there it is. All right. So another reason. Oh, another one. Uh, the the lady who the justice who was up to the uh, I don't know if you say elected to be on you know the judicial the Supreme Court. What was it? No, nominee, nominee, thank, thank you, thank you. See, I'm struggling tonight. Bruce is helping me, Vi's helping me. I, I know who my, my people are, okay? Anyway, I'm kidding. Um, but when she was up to, you know, she was a nominee, right? And she was being tested and they asked her, do you remember what they asked her? What is a woman? And she couldn't answer the question. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She could, she just didn't Well, there's the point, right, though? There's the yeah. point. Yeah. And so, again, we just, this is, this is where we're at, and I'm just pointing that out to say we have to continue to speak truth and love. Uh, we don't hate her, right? We just say, we can say, wow, that's, that's, <laughs> Lisa's like, oh. we can say that that's folly, right? That is yeah. folly. We can point that out and say that's foolish, right? But let's show you a better way, you know, that God designed man and woman, right? Mm -hmm. And that's basic biology that I learned when I was in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. Maybe earlier, I don't know, you know, yep. but it's just, so that's where we're at. All right, moving on. Uh, it changes freedom of religion. And this is probably the one that you've heard the most. It changes freedom of religion into freedom, what? From religion, mm -hmm. meaning religion can be nowhere in the public sphere. So in fact, the exclude religion from politics view would invalidate the very reasoning of the Declaration of Independence on which the United States of America was first founded. Man, that, that's a profound thought. Profound thought. The first two sentences, the first two sentences of the Declaration of Independence mention who? God. The first two mention God. And say that God's laws authorize this independence from Great Britain in 1776 and that God is the one who gives human beings the rights that governments seek to protect. When in the course of human events, and this is from the, from the Declaration of Independence, I think. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident. I bet you can all say that. Oh, yeah. Right? That all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. 
that among these are life, liberty, and the what? Pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And, and here's where the slippery slope comes. And I mean, it's not a slippery slope to me, but this is the, the slippery slope that the, world, that the world uses specifically on abortion, okay? You would say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, the baby deserves what? Life, but the mother deserves happiness. And if having this child is going to make me unhappy, then it's my right to end it. No. That's true. That's true. That's yeah. true. But, but, that, but that, I'm not saying that I believe that argumentation. I'm just telling you that's, what, that, that's, how, that's how they segment that out and argue against that. All right, Colton, take it away. Yeah. Um, in other words, the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence proclaimed that both the laws of nature and God himself gave our country the right to become an independent nation. Uh, so this is interesting um, because the, the very thing we're arguing, excluding religion, that's not what they wanted, but the religion that they were, they were in in Europe was, was um, you know, it was compelled, it was mandated, it was forced, right? And so they, were, they said, this is now infringing on our rights to express freedom of worship to our God, uh, to have a Bible in our hands and to be able to read it and have access to it, right? These types of things. And that's why they, they went the, the extra mile and they, that fanciful way of saying they separated uh, from that which they once were connected to. Uh, they are claiming divine authorization for the very existence of the United States of America. Um, and so very, yeah. very powerful. Yeah, it is. Uh, the First Amendment of the Constitution then declared, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of, of speech. What they mean by an establishment of religion was an established state church, a government-sponsored or government-endorsed uh, denomination or specific religion. And so going back to that argument about marriage, what, what Wayne Grudem, the point he was making is, is, is having a, a defined uh, law on what marriage is, is not establishing a state religion. Does that make sense? You're not, you're not establishing anything when you just affirm the fact that one man and one woman make up a marriage, right? And so that was his point uh, uh, coming in, connecting to this. And they were using that language. You have to see that. They were using that language of... Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. They were using that very language to argue uh, that, they, that they couldn't uh, make a law that would restrict um, same-sex couples from joining together in, in marriage. Right. And they got there, they got to that point by 30 or 40 years worth of a pervert, of, of, of touting a perverted view of the establishment clause mm. that that's how yeah. they did that they kept saying it's freedom from religion no it's not freedom from religion it's freedom of religion that, that is not what this is we can still put mangers in the town square we can still have the ten commandments down at the courthouse we can we can do all of that and we have freedom to do all of that but but the but the per, the perversion of the other side and trying to turn everything upside down and continuing that and i and i think it really started with uh, abortion activism is, as I think, is I think really where it started back in '73. I mean, that, that's when I remember really seeing the landslide of that beginning to happen. Was, yeah, where the, I was, think it happened was the advancement, which of I think it contributed to that as well. But feminism, that? oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's oh, been yeah. that's been yeah, around for Most probably definitely. forty years. Most definitely, uh, the waves of um, yep. movements of <clears throat> feminism. So, Deb. Well, that's just because they bought into the lie of the other side. You know, they they just they've li they listen to the wrong voices, and they're. Yeah, and they're and they're scared, and they're that they don't know where to turn, and and it's yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, Ephesians Ephesians one through three. 
I mean, that, that text is becoming more and more relevant to me every single day. The fact that, I, I'm sorry, not one, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Uh, the fact that before we were in Christ, who were we following? We were following Satan. Satan. We, yeah, were, no. we were deceived and blinded. And no they're doubt. deceived and blinded. And again, that's why we come to them in gentleness and respect, right? We, we proclaim the truth, but we do it in, in love because in one sense they're captured, they're, they're captivated in their sin, and in another sense they're doing exactly what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're receiving the just retribution for their sin, um, you know, from the Lord. And, and yet, so, but we're not, we're not the uh, executors of justice in that sense. We're just called to, to come to them and proclaim the gospel and the truth and to love them. And so again, you know, with the, well, and with the homosexual uh, co- uh, conversation and homosexuality, you know, we, we, we still come to them in, in love. You know, when they come up to our doors in the church, we don't, you know, give them the boot. You know, we, um, you know, right. we come alongside of them and we, we don't make them church members. Right, we don't make someone who is identifying as as someone who's you know living in homosexuality. We don't we don't make them a church member, but but we can still walk with them and love them and care for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guess what we're called to do and to to continue to proclaim the gospel to them because at that point they're not a church member. Uh, at that point they're not under the auspices of the authority of the church, the collective. Right, mm-hmm. not just Shelby and myself and Clayton. Yeah. The collective church. Yeah, they're just I hope you realize the responsibility in that, right? <clears throat> that you are called to that responsibility, not just not just us. So anyway, yeah. yeah let's, let's let's move on. Shelby's like, well, no, no, dude, dude, you're, you're great. <laughs> Sorry, man. I, I don't want to stifle. I don't want to stifle anything. Let's go to the next <laughs> slide. So the the First Amendment therefore prohibited <clears throat> the United States from having a state church, such as the Church of England, from which many of the original colonists had fled in order to gain their religious freedom. Everybody does understand that the first initial people that stepped foot on this continent, that's what they were running from. Does everybody understand that? That is an undeniable historical fact. Undeniable. They were fleeing from being forced to worship the way that the the England church wanted them to worship, and they came here to be free to worship God the way they wanted to and to start a new life. That's why they came here. That's what the pilgrims were. In fact, the now famous separation of church and state letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote back in 1802 to the Danbury Baptist of Connecticut dealt with this issue. The Danbury Baptist had written to the new president expressing their concern over their home state of Connecticut designating the congregational church as the official state church. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) We came over here to get away from this and now they're threatening to bring it back. Thomas, help us out, please. You know what I mean? In his response, Jefferson pointed out that the meaning of the First Amendment was to keep government out of the affairs of the church, not to keep the church out of the affairs of the government. Jefferson argued that when government left the church alone and did not compel its citizens to be members of an official state church, religious freedom could flourish. But what has happened for four or five generations now is that whole discussion has been flipped totally upside down to mean that Religion cannot be in the public sphere, cannot be in politics whatsoever. We have to stay out of it. That is not what that originally meant. And yeah. while, how, how this has gone on this long with, with, and unchecked is beyond me. Man, I just, I, I love, I think, well, mm, I, I also think, yeah, infiltrators yeah i i also think though that and you know this is just it just is what it is it's a sad reality but i think the church has been silent i i I think that i think that if we were uh more and 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 look when i say that i'm not simply i'm not saying that every single person at the church at large uh is not going out there and is not is not getting active and you know um, trying to build a relationship with their coworkers so that they can, you know, shine the light of Christ into their life. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not saying that, but, but when, you, when I look at the landscape, when I talk to my friends, you know, when I'm, you know, usually we come back to that kind of, that conversation of what's the last, what's the last piece of discipleship that we're missing? It's that, that vocal going out and and again it doesn't have to look like beating the streets and you know (laughs) you're having the megaphone it could look like that but i'm not not saying it has to i think actually you'll win a whole lot more traction 
you know, and, and just so happens, you know, when you're, so when you're having a conversation with, you know, your friend or whatever, and they happen to be a friend of the, of a local senator or a, you know, a Tennessee state representative, right? I mean, I mean, uh, we have no access to anyone like that. I mean, of course not. But, you know, I mean, so my point is, is these people are still human beings who are still made in the image of God. They can still be influenced by the truth of the gospel. And the church, I think, has been silent for a long time. And so that's allowed, I think, the, the, the infiltrating deal to happen. And, and the person who's, I think, the, the entity that's behind that is, is Satan, um, you know, fueling that fire. Um, so there's that, but yeah. Right. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, again, too, there, there's, so that's, that is a Christian duty and responsibility to our nation to, to be involved. We've talked about that. You know, we're going to talk about that more, that, that we should be involved in the political system. Um, here's another thing. This is going to sound wild, and maybe Shelby will slap me from across the way. You know, I'm going to say something crazy here. But, but we should even be involved in, you know, a certain fair uh, kind gentle, okay, here are all those adjectives I'm throwing on this, protesting when things are, are going in a direction that are, are clearly, and, and one example of that is Scott Horde, right? And OSA. And OSA going and they're lovingly praying with women and protesting in that way uh, abortion because they know that there are lives in those wombs. And, and, and look, I mean, the, the warfare is realer than it's ever been. California right now, they are trying to pass a law that they can kill babies when they are outside the womb. And that, my friends, is atrocious. Yeah, and so, and so, and here's the thing. So we have to be involved, but also don't, yeah, and don't allow, though, I, I want to stress this point, don't allow that responsibility to trump Okay, your responsibility to to Christ and to share the good news of Jesus with the world, and part of the way you can do that is being involved in politics. So anyway, I, I digress. No, you're okay. good. All right. So the the, the first the first uh, talking about excluding religion is wrong. It changes freedom of religion into freedom from religion. We just spent a few minutes talking about that. The next one is it wrongly restricts freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Okay. You talk to anybody around the world about the United States of America and what is the one right that we have that everybody is envious of? Freedom of speech, absolutely. That we can go anywhere into the public sphere and, and scream our heads off about what we believe is injustice or what is right and what is wrong. And we can do that as long as we don't cause damage, hurt people or anything like that. We can do that, freedom of speech. The First Amendment is directly opposed to the exclude religion from government view, which actually seeks to prohibit Christians and Jews and many and many from other religious backgrounds from exercising their religious freedom when arguing for an amendment to the Colorado Constitution or when arguing for a certain jury verdict or when speaking or giving a prayer at a public event. Their free exercise of religion is taken away from them. Go ahead to the next one. Oh, you got, you got something to say? Oh, uh, uh, it leaves decision-making up to the whim of a few instead of the conviction of the whole. This is due to the uh, denigration of meaning of truth. Yeah, yeah. This view also wrongly restricts individual freedom of speech. And this is what you pointed out and what we've seen happen time and time again. Why should a high school valedictorian not be free to express her own viewpoint in her graduation speech? Why should Christian citizens not be free to campaign for or against a certain polity based on their moral convictions? Linda, that's what you were just talking about. Convictions that are derived from their religious faith. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, we are. We are. I mean, I mean, and, and the, but I mean, sometimes there are, I mean, depending on 
how radical the issue is you may be speaking out against. I mean, just think about Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, was he the one that wrote, who was the one that wrote the opinion for overturning Roe? Was it uh, Alito or, or Kavanaugh? Alito. Ka Alito. Kavanaugh did something. I guess he voted along with Alito. But you remember, he had a guy with a knife. Uh, they arrested the guy threatening to kill him. So I guess that's what I'm saying. You, you've got freedom of speech. But if it's a real radical thing that you're speaking out about, just know that there's equally radical people on the other side that are willing to try to kill you or persecute you and shut you up from, from speaking that. And that's where the civil government comes in to do what? Provide protection for you to be able to speak whatever you want to speak. But what we're beginning to see is we're beginning to see law enforcement not enforce riots and then shut down people from, from free speech. That's what you're beginning to see. And that's the thing that scares me. I mean, it, it's, like, it's like we're beginning to endorse evil and punish good. Yeah, and, and you know, we're not, here's the thing that's happening. We're not allowed to uh, come into the marketplace and to have free conversation. You know, uh, we live, I've termed this the age of offense. This is the age we're living in where everyone's offended about something. It's like, and if I, I mean, uh, you know, what is a woman, that documentary, and uh, Matt Walsh is asking this professor in a university in our state, <laughs> he's asking this professor, what is truth? And he didn't say, what is truth, man? You know, he didn't say it like that. I mean, you, you can tell that he's got a point there and that he simply put the ball in this professor's court and said, what do you think truth is? Just, just came right to him, met him where he was, and he allowed him to have the stage and to have the first say in why, what he and thought why, truth and why, was. Would you, why would you ask that question? Uh, I think and, that's what he said. Why oh, would you ask that question? Not only he was that, like, well, because I want to know reality. <laughs> well, he said, I just want to know what you think. Yeah. And, the, and here's the thing. The guy, the guy immediately went to, this is transphobic. This is, uh, you know, this is you know, totally uh, a phobia that that question stems from. And so I'm not going to answer this. This interview's over. And, you know, it's, it's just there's no place or space to come together and to have a conversation anymore. And to even disagree, to have civil, civil conversation is, is beginning to end. And so that's, again, a dangerous place to be in. Right. And, and not only am I going to silence you, if I can, I'm going to destroy you to where you can't stand against me anymore. I mean, that, that's what, that's what the, uh, that, uh, the, the, the video that OSA showed that night of the man, I think it was in Chicago, that had the, the sandwich shop. I think he was, um, I don't remember if he was Hispanic or, or what nationality he was, but Black Lives Matter came to his sandwich shop and said, you better say Black Lives Matter. And he said, I'm not saying that because all lives matter. And they kept on going and kept on going. They got on social media. Before the day was over, they had about 100 protesters. Three days later, there were 5,000 protesters, and they literally vandalized and burned him out of his shop and almost killed him because he wouldn't say those three words. Yeah, and the police, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, tra it was a tragedy, man. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's try Where to we at? Uh, go down. Just go to the next one. Okay. We should protect people's freedom. Now, I really like the way he says this. We should protect people's freedoms to base their moral and political convictions on the dialogues of Plato if they want, or the teachings of Confucius, or the Bible, or the Jewish Talmud, or I suppose even a song by Johnny Cash, if that is what they find pervasive. Now, now why is it okay to do that? Because if it, because... I mean, there are, there are things that go along with the created order of God, and there are things that don't go along with the created order of God. And if you do enough things that don't go along with the created order of God, what's going to happen to you eventually? Dead, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, eventually, eventually, when they base their lives on something that is outside the created order of God, the world itself will bring enough consequences upon them that hopefully they will turn from that and seek truth somewhere else. I mean, that's what we're doing here in the church every day. That's why we preach, that's why we have live feed, that's why we go into the field and try to talk to people and develop relationships because we are trying to turn them for what they believe if it's not gospel and toward the gospel because we know ultimately yeah. that is the best way to live a life is for Jesus. Yeah, and this comes right back to that point we made last week about compelling religion. If you compel religion, a specific religion, then people aren't gonna be uh, genuine converts. <clears throat> 
right? If you say you have to be a Christian, the government says, we're making a proclamation mandate that, you know, on the, the 30th of this month, you must proclaim to be a Christian, and that's it, you know? It's like, and if you don't, you'll be punished. It's like, okay, well, Timmy, we're going to be Christians now so that we don't die, right? And it's like, that's not true, genuine faith, right? And so we want people to be able to practice... Well, uh, you know, within within the realm of morality, right? We want them to be able to practice what they believe to be right, as what uh, Wayne is saying here, so that we might have an opportunity to win them to Christ, an environment, a context where we can genuinely present Christ to them and have them genuinely come to trust. There's in actually Christ. historical precedent for what you just said, and, and, and while you were talking, I thought there's two extremes: the the Islamic radicals, yeah. the r- radical yeah. radical Islamics, like destroy the twin towers. Yeah. They convert through violence and through terror, okay, right. and through death. Right. Constantine did it differently. Who remember who's Constantine was? Holy Roman Empire. All right. Well, Constantine did the Edict of Milan, which made Christianity the the sponsored religion of the Roman Empire. Okay. So I mean, if constant, if if the Holy Roman Emperor is saying that he's going to provide you wealth and riches and political uh, political advantage and all this kind of stuff, if you believe in Christianity, what are you going to do? You gotta believe in Christianity, <laughs> and so so one one like grew through fear and through death, and then Constantine actually went out there and started giving all these advantages for for being a Christian. So even if you weren't a Christian, if if Emperor Constantine promised me all this stuff, if I'll if I'll you know if I'll just go along with him with Christianity, obviously you're gonna have a bunch of false converts in the church. Well, and, that's the point you're making. And here's another thing too. You know, speaking of going back to uh, radical is, Islam. Um, that practice is clearly, at least as far as it goes right now, is clearly something that's against the law in our in the United States, right? You can't go and kill someone, okay? And uh, that affirms, by the way, that affirms what? The Bible. Thou right? shalt not that, kill. And, and we get a chance again to speak into and say, hey, this beautiful book here speaks to the truth about the fact that you can't take the life of another image bearer. I mean, how awesome is that? So again, the morality being governed in, our, in, in, in the world. I mean, there are people who don't have like a, a strong, sturdy government who understand that they're going to punish someone who took the life of their, their tribal native, right? They're like, hey, which one of you killed you know, Johnny? You know, it's like, oh, you? Okay, well, you, now it's your turn. Now you're going to die you know, to, to seek justice. And it's like, again, this is an affirmation of the truth of Scripture, morality itself. Linda? Yeah. yeah, we saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is, this comes, yeah. And this comes back to the delusion of truth, the delusion of meaning. I, I've, you know, I've always felt this way from an early age that, you know, that words are important. You know, pastors, I think we kind of tend to go down that route early. You know, we feel like words are important. Uh, you know, words have meaning. We can't, we can't take away the meaning of those words because when we do, then we end up defining it the way we want to. Uh, for instance, Shelby said it earlier, life. What is life? You know, and it's like, well, when we start to say that, you know, when we can look at a child again, and it just, it tears me up to even have to talk about this, but when we look at a child, you know, moving and cooing and that, and we say that that's not worthy of life, then, then we've, we've gotten to a bad place. You know what I'm saying? And life itself, the definition of life has been lost on us. And, and, and that's because the, the enemy has blinded their eyes to a certain degree, and that's because they believed it, so they're responsible too, and we're called to come to them with the truth and say, hey, like, let these things not be. Like, you've got to realize that that thing is, is alive. That's a living child. You know, and, and, and you can take that example into other examples as well, but yeah. We've got to stop uh, and do prayer requests now. We'll pick up there uh, next week. Are y'all enjoying this? Okay. Uh, I figured you would. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it, yeah, it does, it yeah. does. And, yeah, and, and it's not going to... Righteous gonna, anger. Yeah, and it's it not, we're not, you're not going to fix it overnight either. That's, that's the, you know, that's, that's the, the hard part about it too. All right, um, prayer requests, let's go over these. Uh, Brenda Hopper had cataract surgery today. She has another one uh, on 11-2 next Wednesday, but she's, she's home and she's okay. She just can't see just yet. Um, Larry Parsley and his family and the death of his mother, Helen Burt, who passed away October 24th. The funeral was today at 1 p.m. in Smithville. 
please pray for them. Uh, Y'all heard we lost Ellen uh, up church. She's in heaven now. And we're going to have her memorial service here on Saturday, November the 5th. That's next weekend, right? Not this Mm -hmm. weekend, but next weekend. Um, And we'll keep you posted on that. Juanice Winchester and the death of her sister, Cornelia Stewart. Um, And this was her last surviving sibling. And then Trey and Kristen stuttered on the birth of their son, Malachi. So mom and son are doing good, but Brother Zeke has the flu, so we'd be praying for them. Uh, Also, uh, Jack Cantrell is doing much better. Uh, He has to go to um, Hickory Woods. Uh, He thinks tomorrow for some rehab for about five days, and then they they think he'll be back on his feet and be back to normal. But uh, that was a a close call for Jack, so he's very, very, very thankful to you and your prayers. Mm -hmm. Those of you that went and saw him, I mean, he was ministered to very well. Um, Is there another one I'm forgetting? Uh, It looks like there's a few... Okay. Sister, okay. Well, let's get that right. Let's get that right. It's okay. Yeah, Wayne, yeah. We got Sister, got it. Still okay. got Wayne around. We don't want to put all the other ones away just yet. Yes, we Ron. love Wayne. She didn't say we could say it, but Paige um, is having surgery tomorrow on her oh, arm, on really? her hand. Oh, yeah, gosh. she, um, yeah, from from her little car accident. She, they were saying that she might not have to have surgery, and then they literally called her. They checked up on her yesterday and called her and said, "Yeah, you're gonna have to have surgery so, oh, tomorrow." So please pray for her that everything goes well. And yeah, sure will. Okay, I'll just I'll just do it tonight, brother. All right, sure. we got a uh, Brandon Strickland. Yes. Jennifer. What a blessing. That's good. Thank you, Jennifer, That's for great. that. All right. Um, we were on Brandon. Uh, disc, nerve issues in the back, hip, knee, waiting to get an MRI. All right. How you feeling tonight? Oh, you're feeling good then. Oh, that's why you weren't as talkative you're feeling tonight. feeling good. <laughs> He's flying high. Yeah, I, I, I have flex reels. I take every for my neck and back issues, and man, they they take about three hours to hit you. But when they hit you, I mean, it's just like the, <laughs> the whole night just kind of goes away, and you wake up going, "Man, what happened?" You know. Um, be in prayer for Kevin Saucy, who is in real need of knee replacement, uh, but he's having some difficulty with insurance. That's a good friend of Walter Martha Bowen, so remember him in this uh, knee problem. Uh, you just heard Bobby Shorts having knee surgery next Monday, and then Jennifer's stepdad's doing better from the uh, heart attack and starts cardiac, cardiac rehab soon. He's been released. Anything else? Anything else? Yes, Mark. A, uh, a That's great. Amen. Wonderful. Oh, Thank awesome. you for that. All right, well, I'll pray for us, and then we'll be uh, dismissed. Just remember the ones that you've heard out there, and I'll try to remember my name, the ones that we have names. Lord, we come before your throne tonight with very thankful hearts. Lord, I thank you for Dr. Grudem, first of all, and this masterful book that he wrote back several years ago. Because if, if a scholar had not condensed all of that into a book, it would be really hard to go out and pull all that together and study it without having to spend hours and hours and hours doing so, which nobody has time for that. And so, Father, I'm thankful for him that he put this book together that's been so helpful to kind of cut through all the confusing vocabulary and, and the historical timeline and, 
the liberal, you know, conservative wrangling of terms that, that we have so often that sometimes gets so confusing uh, for us that are just trying to live a godly life and to be virtuous and loving and kind to those around us. So, Father, I pray over the next two or three Wednesdays as we look through this that you would make it crystal clear to us and help us to, um, help us to learn what is the proper response for believers in this culture at this time in our lives. And I think if we can learn that, then the, uh, some of the angst that many of us carry in our hearts about some of the things that have been done in our country uh, maybe, maybe can be better understood. And maybe we can spend our energy in a different way for your kingdom to actually make a difference and see if we can participate in this in a way that glorifies you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, as far as health needs tonight, we have several. We pray for Brother Brandon uh, and, and his back issue. Um, Lord, I know he's a young man, and, and uh, this has got to be worrisome, uh, just like my issues in my back are worrisome, trying to raise kids and have a family and work full-time and, and just you know, trying to manage all that. Father, we just, we just pray for divine intervention and I know that there's others that have uh, nerve issues as well, Father, and we just pray that, that, the, that your mighty hand would heal us, Lord, without us having to go through tons of surgeries and take lots of medications and injections and all the stuff that we all know about. So we just pray that tonight. Father, we pray for Kevin Saucy that's in real need on this uh, knee replacement and the complications and the financial aspect of that, Lord, and I... I I just, I know the, the, the difficulties we had just with Micah's wrist and, and uh, just and Angie's surgery back three years ago and her thyroid, just the different things that we've had to manage. And it's just, uh, it seems like it is more difficult today than it has ever been with insurance companies and deductibles and getting medical bills paid, Father. It, it can be financially devastating. And so I just pray that you would help that come together for him in an organized way that he can manage well and quickly. Father, we pray for Bobby Short and this knee surgery next Monday and that it would go well and that she would recover quickly. We thank you. We praise your name for Jennifer's stepfather and recovering from this uh, heart attack he had and been released and going into cardiac rehab soon. Uh, we pray for the, the couple that, that uh, Brother Mark mentioned uh, in the back back there. Praise your name for, for that, for, for uh, seeing fruit from ministry, ministering in the word decades before. It's always encouraging to see and hear. We pray for um, Juanice <clears throat> in the uh, death of her sister and her remaining siblings, Lord, that they would all pull together and help each other and continue to walk together. We also praise your name for Jack Cantrell that's doing much better and uh, seems to be recovering well. And uh, thank you so much for giving him such a wonderful spouse and Jerry that has been just there by his side every moment and keeping us informed. And so we can pray for him specifically and we pray that the rehab would go well for him in Hickory Woods and all that would come to pass and he would be back among our number very soon. And Father, we pray, we know the uh, harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And so Father, we want to pray and beseech you tonight, dear Lord, send us workers for the harvest. Send us workers. I thought it was very ironic. It didn't hit me until about, about a Sunday after that message that we're right in the middle of nominating committee season where we're trying to staff all of our ministries next year with, with leaders. And Lord, I know that um, our nominating committee chairman has been putting a lot of time into this as they do every year. And I pray that those that have been called would deeply consider and pray about serving here at Parkway Baptist Church and helping us move forward. We have a huge year scheduled, Lord, uh, just a huge one. We have, we're gonna try to begin to break ground on our new building in the back for our next generation, for our family ministry. Uh, we're, we're hoping to develop the, uh, the bottom into some more activities down there involving camping and other things. I pray that you would help us bring that together soon. Lord, we want to try to enhance all the ministries and how they function throughout the year next year. And so, Father, I pray that you would just keep the enemy bound and away from us so that we can get these things accomplished for you because we love you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We want to see other people come to know you and love you. That is our sole purpose here. It is not to make a name for ourselves, but to make a name for you. And so, Father, I pray as you've heard all these prayers tonight, we submit our petition, and Lord, and we, we trust that you will fill it to your pleasing and perfect will. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, good night, everybody. Good night. Next good week, night, same time, same place, live feed Wednesday night. Politics according to the Bible. The crowd keeps getting bigger. Come on. <laughs>